Happy Monday, church family. This is, uh, uh, today we're going to go, or this week, uh, we're going to go through Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 is a really cool chapter. If you recall kind of what we talked about last week, we talked about, um, at least the last point that we talked about last week is about how uh, God's people, particularly God's leader, they're called to uh, live a certain way. There's certain qualifications uh, for leaders, and I said that uh, this week we'll talk about what about the rest of the congregation, what about the rest of the people, uh, do they have expectations from the Lord as well? And that's what we're going to look at uh, through this chapter. Kind of just jumping ahead and giving you guys what we think, what I think about going over. And that's just uh, the idea of worship. Uh, God has made us all uh, to to, uh, to to worship Him. Um, God has made us all with a particular bent to worship things, uh, or actually more specifically worship Him. But because of sin, our tendency is to worship everything else except for the one true God. Um, if you ever wonder why there's so many false religions in the world, why people uh, um, have idols in their life, and even for some of us, why do we struggle uh, with loving things? It's because God has designed us, He's built into us a desire to worship. Uh, we see this throughout scripture that um, uh, man is designed to worship him. We're supposed to, uh, we were made uh, with the intent to magnify and reflect God while at the same time worshiping him. All of us were made for that purpose. Uh, and there are certain worships that is pleasing to the Lord. And at the same time, there are things, uh, just because it is genuine, just because it is um, uh, from a quote unquote, uh, a right place in your heart. They could do it from actually a wrong, uh, uh, wrong, uh, how should I say, wrong application or a wrong method of worship. A uh, person could be genuine, but they could do the wrong type of worship, act of worship, and it's considered wrong in the Lord's eyes. Uh, you recall in, uh, in Genesis when Cain, he, when he offered his sacrifice, it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. It wasn't to say that um, the fruit offering that's in itself was bad. It was that he uh, did not, he was supposed to offer an animal sacrifice, but instead he offered something less. Um, and it wasn't that God cared so much about the, the actual object, but it was, it was really revealed of what's inside the heart of Cain. Cain didn't want to worship the Lord the way God expects, and that's why his offering was not acceptable to God. God is a God that, uh, that is to be worshipped, and he demands that we worship him in a particular way. Now, much of what is described as worship in this world is is dishonoring to the Lord and oftentimes is offensive to the Lord. And what makes them dishonoring and offensive is because um, the Lord sees their heart. Oftentimes, false worship, uh, aside from just worshiping the wrong God, there's wrong ways of worship. There's, some people worship out of self-righteous worship. Some people worship because they're essentially doing sinful things. Um, and even if they are genuine, it can still be wrong. True worship is defined by God, it's centered around God, and is about God. It's directed to God, and is about Him. In Ezra chapter 3, we begin to see how the people of God understood that principle. They understood that when you worship God, when you present your offerings to the Lord, when you live out a certain way, you're supposed to do exactly what God wants you to do. Worship is according to God because God sets the standard of, of worship. It's, uh, it's, it's designed by him and it is for him and worship uh true worship uh if it's done the right way is pleasing to him but if it's done the wrong way it's, it's it's gross to him it's offensive to him uh that's why we need to worship him 
the way that he wants. Uh, so this week we're going to look at Ezra chapter 3 and then we'll draw um, four principles uh, this week. Um, but let me just start by just kind of give us a, giving us a big picture of what Ezra chapter 3 is about. Uh, chapter 3 verse 1. Now when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So seventh month is, uh, the seventh month, which is about six months later from chapter, the end of chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, the whole bunch of people, 40. 42,360 of them uh, went back uh, to uh, Jerusalem. They left uh, Babylon. Now, seven, six months later, they decide to, okay, let's begin to work. And it could be that the first several months, they were just trying to uh, you know, move the rubble around, uh, get rid of things, clear out space, and find places where they could live. Um, remember, this whole place is, des- is destroyed. There's like, animals living there. So in my mind, I'm just imagining people just trying to get rid of all the wildlife and just chopping down um uh, you're pulling out weeds and everything else just to make the place uh, ready to be able to start the work. Verse 2, Then Joshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brother the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and his brothers, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So it's cool, it's like, First thing they do is that they want they they worship they 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 clear the place they have enough things and and enough space and the first thing they do is that they offer uh, worship and it is in they do it not just because not based on what they think it, worship should be but they do it according uh, to the law of Moses which is the Torah. First three so they set up the altar on its foundation and they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands and they offered burnt offering on it to the Lord burnt offerings morning and evening uh, so. There were people, enemies, we'll just call them enemies of, of Israel. Uh, they, they saw what the Jews were doing in, this world, in, in Jerusalem, and they, didn't not like, they did not like what they say. We'll look more of that next week. Um, but the, you know, the neighboring people rejected uh, them. They did not want them to, to go back into the land. And uh, this is going to be something that uh, they're going to have to struggle with. There's going to be people that see what they're doing, and they're, that they're going to take offense to it. They're going to want to stop them. Verse 4, they celebrate the Feast of Booth as is written and offered a fixed number of burnt offerings daily according to the ordinances as each day required. The Feast of Booth is supposed to, uh, back then in the Old Testament times, they were supposed to actually go out and live in tents. It's supposed to be like a remembrance of what, <coughs> excuse me, this would be a remembrance of what it was like to be in the wilderness when they're living in tents together. Uh, so now it, it's somewhat convenient during this time because you know, they didn't have homes, they just went back into Jerusalem. I'm sure they already are living in tents, so they just basically uh, used both living in a tent and, the, and a piece of feast of booth at the same time, so they could do, you know, uh, knock out two birds with one stone kind of thing. And uh, they, they did a fixed number of burnt offerings daily, and you have to understand, these people, like in, at the end of chapter two, you see all these animals that they have. Uh, I'm sure they did not, they, this list here are not animals that they were supposed to sacrifice. So somewhere along the line, probably in the six-month period, they were trying to gather the right animals to sacrifice. Uh, and this is a really bloody ordeal. If you look at uh, Numbers 29, just look at the whole list of animals that they have to kill. It's, it's a really big deal. And they did it. Uh, they did this thing. And, and the Feast of Booths was last eight days long. So for uh, one week and one day, they would make all of these sacrifices to the Lord as a way to, to thank him. Uh, to, to remember how they were delivered um, from exile. Verse 5, And afterward they were continually burnt offering 
also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated, and from everyone who offered a free will offering to the Lord. So everyone, again, from, from the Feast of Booths, they, they just kept uh, um, worshipping the Lord by burning all of these different things uh, as a way of thankfulness as, and free will offering. They were doing all of these things to show that, one, that they have a restored relationship with God, and then they're thank, thanking the Lord through off giving more sacrifices. From first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, for the foundation of the temple had not been laid. They Then they gave money to the uh, masons and carpenters and f- food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and to Tyrannius to bring cedar wood from Lebanon to the Sea of at Joppa, according to the permission that uh, had from King Cyrus of Persia. So what's really cool about this scene is that uh, they re- some of these people uh, uh, remembered what the first temple was like, and they, they wanted to even get the same materials uh, uh, from where Solomon got it. Uh, the, the entire the, the, the cedar wood from Lebanon. This is ex- exactly the same uh, place where Solomon got his wood uh, for the temp- for the first temple. Uh, they wanted to be exact. Uh, they wanted to kind of rebuild and, and bring back to, uh, to like basically the former glory days. Verse eight. Now in the second year of the coming of the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedach. And the rest of, the, of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work and appointed the Levites from 20 years and older to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Uh, so they didn't want to stop worshiping. They wanted to be, uh, start working on the temple and still uh, able to do uh, offer sacrifices. Then Joshua, with his son and brothers, stood united with Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, and the sons of Hanadad, with their sons and brothers, the Levites, to oversee the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, uh, the priests stood in their apparel with the trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols, to praise the Lord according to directions of King David of Israel. So, basically, this is like the... Um, like you know how in those when construction they have the little shovel ceremony where they dig the shovel into the ground. This is kind of like that. That they, they right when they start the foundation, uh, first thing they do is they sing praises to the Lord. Verse eleven, they sang praising and giving thanks to the Lord. This is a reference, I think, of Psalm one hundred verse five, saying, "For He is good, for His loving kindness is upon Israel forever." And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of father's household, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of his house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of weeping for people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. So there were people that, you remember, this is uh, seven years later, so there were probably young people that remember, even though they're old, they still remember the old in the first temple and how great it was. And uh, the, maybe the younger people are the ones who are like, oh, wait, this is great, look what we've accomplished. And they start crying, uh, they're crying out joy while the older people start weeping because they realize this is not as great as it, as it was in the past. So both people that are crying and both people that are, uh, are, are cheering uh, or, or tears of joys and tears of uh, pain is, is, is really hard. It's really impossible to distinguish. And that's what this part is getting at, that there are people that were crying and there were people that were rejoicing and there's no way to distinguish the two. Um, but the temple 
restoration began, and there is um, hope overall, even though it's sad because it makes them sad because they realize how far they've fallen, but it's hopeful that they get a chance to restart again. So in this chapter, uh, that's we're going to talk about worship and uh, to give us um, kind of what to think about throughout this week. Uh, there is a specific way and God's people are called to worship the Lord. Uh, true worship, the first point, is going to be defined by God. That's the first point that we're going to look at tomorrow. Then uh, Wednesday, we'll look at true worship is exclusive. And then uh, third, true worship is centered around uh, centered around uh, God. Centered around God. And then lastly, uh, true worship is shown by hatred from the world. So we're going to look at those four points this week, and I hope that as we walk through each point, um, that you become a better worshiper of God, that this will make you reflect and contemplate and think about where you are with the Lord, how you worship the Lord, not just on, this, uh, on a, you know, every Sunday or every time we go to Bible study, but on a, on a daily basis, that we would all check our own hearts to see that we are truly worshiping the Lord according to his word. I look forward to the study, and I hope you guys have a good Monday. Have a nice day.